0: everybody this is sandra back and do i have a treat for you today i have rabbi rami who has written 36 books and we are going to talk about so many things today we're going to talk about belief systems we're going to talk about wisdom we're going to talk about writing but before we get into all those things i would like Rabbi, to introduce himself and talk a little bit about your experience because it is very varied. And he is our rabbi from Tennessee, which just floats my boat, I have to tell you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, you want a little bio? I want a little bio,
0: maybe a big bio, a little bio.
1: So, you know, I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home, uh, but I didn't find it fulfilling. By the time I was in high school, I was looking for something else and I found Buddhism through two high school teachers who had gotten a grant during my junior, senior year, that, that, uh, that period, they had gone to India, they studied Hinduism and Buddhism, and they came back and started teaching what they called Asian civilization. Mm. And I was intrigued. And what, what captured my imagination uh, was not so much the theologies of Hinduism, and I don't know if you can say Buddhism has a theology because it doesn't have a creator god. But what captured my imagination was the practice of meditation. Mm. That you know, in Judaism, you sort of have to believe or not. You right. can't test it out exactly. But in Buddhism, the idea is that you are you can you can test out the teachings. You and Hinduism also. You know, Hinduism will say you know your truest nature is divine you are one with brahman and you can you can test that you can do it through meditation through yoga through chanting through different practices and see if it's true or not for mm-hmm. yourself and i thought that was fantastic. So I began to study Buddhism and later Hinduism quite seriously. I practiced. I had Zen masters. I had gurus. And I ended up becoming a professor uh, teaching world religions, but never losing my connection to Judaism. And the more I learned about Eastern religions, the more I yearned to find out if there was anything like this in Judaism. And I was lucky enough to find uh, Reb Zalman Shakhtar Shalomi, who was my Rebbe, my guru in the Jewish world, who also taught world religions. And he said, oh, absolutely. There's a whole mystical side to Judaism that I did not grow up with, but he helped me grow into. So, uh, you know, I went to rabbinical school. I did all of that. But in the end, I am what Reb Zalman called a Jewish practitioner of perennial wisdom. And that means the the wisdom that all the mystical traditions share. And very simply put, that wisdom is everything is a manifesting of X. You can call it God, you can call it mother, you can call it nature, you can call it, you know, Brahmin, Tao, whatever you want to call it. But everything is a manifesting of it the way every wave is a manifesting of the ocean that waves it. So you and I are all part of this singular reality. Number two, you can know this directly. That's what mysticism is about, knowing your true nature. Number three, when you awaken to this singular reality of which we are all a part, you can only treat one another with compassion and justice and kindness, the golden rule. And then the fourth part is awakening to this reality, your own true nature, and treating each other according to the golden rule is the highest calling of every human being. I mean, that's it every tradition articulates it in its own way, but those are the basic four points. So my Judaism is informed by those four points. My, my life ideally is informed by those four points.
0: I love that. And, you know, as we move around the world and the world becomes smaller, whether it's through digital media, whether it's through travel, you know, we have a lot of military listeners today. And I think one of the things that struck me, the more I I journeyed around the world, the more I realized how similar we all are. And, you know, that, that the precepts you were talking about, you know, kindness and compassion and grace, they're they're. They're the only way to live a life where you can wake up every day and feel great. Like that's my case for faith. (laughs) You know, it's, it's your, you've got all the, you know, the boxes that you can check. Mine is really simple. My day is better. I feel better. I'm happier. My life is better. I mean, don't you find that adopting these things. And I I went on this, you know, tour with my mom. Oh, my gosh, I was 25 and we decided we were going to travel and we were just going to go to different houses of worship. And it didn't matter who the house of worship was, what the country was. Even we sat in worship with different groups in languages we didn't understand, but we could follow some of the things. And that's where I found there's like this universal truth among people Regardless of your race, your creed, your your religious identity, your color, your culture, it's fascinating how alike we are. Rabbi, I'm just going to take a minute to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor today is Green Chef. And if you don't know what Green Chef is, I want you to go to GreenChef.com slash coach. Talk 60 and use code COACHTALK60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. Now, I'm a big fan of Green Chef because it makes eating well easy and it's got plans that fit my ever-changing lifestyle. So sometimes I'm keto, sometimes I'm paleo, my kids are here, I have to go gluten-free, I sometimes want a vegan or vegetarian meal, just trying to find balanced ways, easy ways to eat great meals. And Green Chef offers me that range of recipes that that suit my varied preferences. Now you get to choose from over 50 weekly menu and market items and you can mix and match meals from different dietary preferences in the same box without changing your plan. That's what I'm talking about and you can get everything you need at Green Market which is their one shop stop for quick breakfast, brunch kits, wholesome lunches and you can easily add these things onto your weekly order and I like that because my weeks change. Sometimes I'm on travel, sometimes I'm you know home all day, sometimes my dad's living, with me. Sometimes my kids are home from school. You know, it, it's a lot. And I have just me and my high schooler is my regular meals. All of our stuff is changing. And so you get to customize everything. And they have lunchtime recipes. They have these 10 minute lunches. Like, who doesn't love that? And each week's menu item includes two convenient, low prep and nutritious lunch recipes ready in just 10 minutes, no cooking required. And that's perfect for me because I am pressed for time, you know, trying to get everything done. And I really appreciate companies like Green Chef coming along and making my life easier. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well with dinners that work for me, for you, and not the other way around. They have options for every lifestyle. You know, you can go keto, protein-packed, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, and gluten-free. And as the only keto meal kit, Green Chef makes sticking to a carb-conscious lifestyle easy. So I want you guys to go to greenchef.com slash and use code COACHTALK60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash COACHTALK60. Use code COACHTALK60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. Now, we're talking to the rabbi today about how alike we are in a world that seems to be riddled with diversity.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we're alike in many ways, but two fundamental ways. One when you look at it from this perennial wisdom perspective, the perspective of the mystics, you discover we're all holy beings. We're all divine manifestations. And we are all at that level guided by justice and compassion. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we are all caught up in the, in the delusion of separateness where we think the other is evil and we're, we're lost to the notion of universal oneness and compassion. And, and that's, you know, and both of those things operate uh, simultaneously, you know, in us. And if you look at geopolitical, you know, situations, you, you need military because people are broken. Right. You know, if if everyone was all loving and all compassionate and all just, no, we wouldn't have militaries. We wouldn't mm-hmm. need them. You wouldn't have boundaries to defend. You wouldn't have anything like that. Right. You know, there would be no no invasion of the Ukraine because there'd be no Ukraine and no Russia, and right? The, the, it, the world would be a very different place, but it's never been like that. And I doubt it'll ever be like that because we're also broken. We're also trapped in what Albert Einstein called an optical delusion of consciousness, which gives us this um, this delusion that we are separate. Mm-hmm. And when we feel separate, we feel afraid. And when we feel afraid, we become violent. And then we have to defend ourselves against, you know, the violence of the other. And, and so the military becomes necessary. And I was in the Air Force. I am very proudly mm-hmm. associated with the military. I mean, militaries can, can make terrible mistakes. And I think you sure, see that, course. you know, in, in the world, I think. I mean, I'm very biased. The Russian military is is enthralled to to. Very evil people, and they're doing horrible things. And the mm-hmm. the Wagner group is is they're not even military; they're just mercenary, and that's a very different thing.
0: Very different. They have
1: no, no moral code, no, no nothing. But they're polluting the Russian military. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, the the point being, the the military can be among the best of us, but right. it can also reflect the worst of us.
0: Sure.
1: And um, you know, we tend to demonize the military, but that's, I mean, A, that's wrong. But if there's demonization at at work, it's, it's in us. It's just in the human psyche.
0: Right. Well, and that's the one thing that, you know, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about is how our thoughts create our perception of reality. And I'm going to give an example. Um, I have teenage kids and I have a teenage boy who is very much into superheroes. And he went through what I call the hoodie stage. You know, he'd have his hoodie over and he was he was convinced he was green arrow. Everything had to be dark green. And, you know, and I said, you know, how you show up in the world, son. the the picture you paint you know, kind of gives an image to the world, but then you reflect back and that reflection back comes and it colors your worldview. And how we talked about this was I said, okay, you're going to wear your hoodie and you're going to be all hunched over and we're going to go to the market. We're going to go to the grocery store here in Los Angeles and see how people react to you. And we talked about how, and we watched people look away, look at him uncomfortably, you know, and then I said, okay, we're going to go back to the car, no hoodie no black drama, you know, none of this, you know, I'm a superhero and a 16 year old boy put on, you know, just a a t-shirt. And now we're going to go to that same store. And we walked around and I said, I want you, he's six foot five and blonde. So I said, now I want you to make eye contact with people, you know, kind of smile, maybe say hello. He got so involved in this conversation about comic books in the bread aisle. We didn't even make it through the store. And, (laughs) it really you know i wanted to teach my kids how you show up in the world and how you approach the world also can affect how the world reflects back to you but that your own thoughts create your reality his thoughts that he was green arrow in his hoodie being the secret superhero you know walking around Vaughn's grocery store um you know it created this whole thing in it and it 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 helped me introduce to my kids, and I want to introduce to the readers how our thoughts shape our reality, and how we show up in the world shapes our reality.
1: Well, that's absolutely true, right? I mean, our, our thoughts do shape our reality, but I don't I don't know if we control our thoughts. Our shot our thoughts are shaped. Our, our thoughts are also shaped by that reality. Um, maybe that's why so many superheroes have secret identities. They present. You know, a, a more mellow, you know, Clark Kent or even Bruce Wayne identity, or even Tony Stark identity. Let's not, you know, focus only on the DC. Oh, world. the Hulk! at so, <laughs> Right. Well, the Hulk is a different story. The Hulk is sort of Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, and, right. and when he gets uh, mad, and when he gets mad, he loses, you know, his control. The, the Hulk is a morality tale about the dangers of gamma rays <laughs> and, and and all that. But um, he's he's like, I, mean, I could. i love comic books i get totally into comic you know the hulk and godzilla they're both morality tales about the danger of nuclear power but um what's interesting also is the, you know what superhero might you identify with yes so for example wonder woman was created to give uh you know young women a, a role model, a power, an, an empowered role model, coming from an island of Amazonian women. You know, it's, it was mm-hmm. it was like uh, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is for women, what uh, Black Panther and Wakanda is you know, for for African Americans. So so there's there's this social element. Um, I you know I don't know I'm really taking this <laughs> maybe farther than you want to go, but my my comic book idol was and still is Doctor Strange, and what I love about Doctor Strange is that he's all cerebral. Mm-hmm. I mean I'm you know if anyone knows the enneagram I'm an enneagram five. It's all about study. It's all about knowledge. It's all about wisdom. Uh, in the Hindu world, when I'm engaged with that world, I'm uh, the yoga that I practice. It's called Jhana Yoga. It's the yoga of study. It's the yoga of the intellect. So um, what I loved about Dr. Strange was he studied from books. His mm-hmm. his uh, Sanctum Sanctorum has a huge library when he had a problem. This is not true in the movies. In the movies, it's just right. fighting, you know. But in the comic books, when he had a problem, he'd go to the library. He'd look things up. Right. He'd he think his out.
0: way out of the problem, not problem. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, eventually, though, he's got to yeah. do his little, you know, his, yeah. his spells and stuff like that. But it was it was different than it is in the in the Marvel movie universe. But um, one of the things you see in a, in subcultures in America is the ubiquitous nature of the Punisher mm-hmm. icon, and the Punisher is a very dark character. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not an expert in in Punisher comics, and I don't want to overstate what I know about him. But you see him up there uh, on in in subcultures where the idea is, I'm just going to kill people who I don't like. Now, I'm not saying that's what the Punisher is about, but it's like society is going through an ap- apocalyptic stage. Um, me and my my AR-15, we're going to go and and set things right. So sort of funny. like yeah through force sort of like the taxi driver movies mm-hmm. um because the society is falling apart and the only way to survive is through violence yeah. and there's a difference between the right use of force and the wrong use of violence and and right. we're losing that distinction i think in many cases but looking at how comics uh how how comics shape us is mm-hmm. is very powerful um i mean I you you go on forever but you look at how captain america changed and when you know he 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 was sort of a a a white supremacist kind of character and then you find ta-nehisi coates starts writing captain america and and things start to change but even before that captain america started having own awakening Mm -hmm. um so so it's very interesting looking at all this pop culture stuff uh, as it as it tries to, to to reflect um a certain kind of liberal democratic American culture back to, to, you know, teenage kids uh, and younger and younger, giving them I, a world. Well, community.
0: I have a, I my household rabbi is, is, um, you know, 16 to 89. I have my 89-year-old dad I took in living with us, and I'm single mom, soul-supporting, and we have such interesting conversations around the dinner table. You know, you talk about perception, you talk about beliefs, and, and, and the Captain America that my dad grew up with, you know, being 89, born in 1934, the versus my two thousand six born child, they're actually almost completely different characters.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and you see Captain America going through a real crisis in the comic books, mm-hmm. um, and, and you get into this whole thing about mutants and X Men, and I mean it. It's fascinating stuff, and I recommend comic books to anyone who's who's thoughtful because they really do. You know, go into some some deep stuff, uh, and their backstories are fascinating. You know, the X Men is a major brand, um, you know, in in the Marvel universe, and and people don't always understand what's going on there because they don't understand the sub, the subtext of what's happening. So just just very you know, just one example is Magneto. You know, he, he starts to be the bad guy, but he really isn't the bad guy. He's just coming from a different. A, a, an understandable well, mindset. Right. They they've played with this a little bit, but his original backstory, as I understand it, is and, and you see this a little bit in the movies. Uh, he's Jewish, and his family and him when he was little are taken by the Nazis. He's separated from his mom and his his sister. They're killed in the death camps, yep. and he's. Uh, there's a scene in in, the, in one of the movies where he's reaching out to his mom as she's being taken away and his power starts to emerge and the metal fences and the death right, start bend. to bend yeah and then somebody in the ss notices it and tries to groom him to be a, you know a super an uberman right, for the nazis a weapon but eventually he realizes that um uh, you know that that his people now the, the the mutants become metaphor for the jews that his people are under attack by the you know, whenever you want to call it, the, the non-mutants. And so now he's against the non-mutants. So it, it takes a, an, another turn than trying to make peace with the non-mutants or or whatever. But it's just a fascinating exploration of what one person's path might be in trying to deal with the violence that they've experienced since they were little directed against them. And and it's it doesn't I don't think the comic is trying to justify what he does, but it's trying to help us understand where he's coming understand. from. Yeah, trying to help us understand. Anyway, we we no, can talk about No, but I mean that you know that does forever. go
0: in. You know that does go into our. You know it's it's in alignment with what we're talking about today, which is. You know, our beliefs and, you know, our beliefs are shaped not only by our culture, you know, by our family, by our experience, by our education, what we read, see and consume, you know, and I'm I love X-Men and I I would love to be Professor X. I just think he's the coolest guy. And, you know, I want one of those little, you know, the things they put on your head, you know, when he he connects into the universe, Um, you know, but there's also... There's also things to be gained from that when we have an understanding of the people who hurt us. You know, we I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we talk about oneness and and being all together and all one. That's all well and good until someone really hurts us. And when somebody really hurts us and this is where, you know, I really had to dig deep. You know, I'm divorced, you know, my husband had other relationships while he was married to me. And not to go, oh, boo-hoo, sob story, but it was my greatest lesson to learn to pray for him and You know, I used to pray for him, his heart to soften towards our children because I had our children and, you know, it was very interesting to me if you had asked me, you know, 25 years ago, would you ever pray or would you ever, you know, teach your children compassion for someone who hurt all of you? Um, That was really an eye-opening surprise for me. It it meant I still had good boundaries, you know, with the people who hurt me. You can love someone from afar. But let's talk about, you know, in in our society, it's really easy to throw pot shots from social media. You can send a nasty text. You don't see the other person's response. I think people are bolder with their nastiness, their meanness, without, you know, I would never say things to you and looking at your face, sitting across from you that I could easily fire off in a text. So with this comes, I think, a greater need for the understanding of com- kindness and compassion. You know, you talked about, about, you know, in X-Men, you know, this guy went through the Holocaust, his family was killed. We get, get a greater understanding. Doesn't mean we accept the behavior but we can understand it. And let's talk about what does understanding do for us in a relationship where there is harm?
1: So I think we have to make a distinction between understanding the person's, you know, where they're coming from and excusing the behavior that they do, right? So I don't wanna make any excuses for bad behavior, my own or anybody else's. Sure. But I think that people do what they do because, in, in a, to a large extent, what we do is almost unconscious. You know that we're we're driven by forces that we don't understand, that we really don't control because we don't understand them. I mean, most of us need serious therapy to understand why we are the way we are, and but we don't get it. Uh, so so we're driven by these these forces. And then we end up doing things that can be harmful to ourselves and harmful to other people. Uh, and and to the extent that we act out our darker nature mm-hmm. is the extent that we either have to be put away in, in prison. Um, well, I mean, that's really it. I mean, I, I you know, violent people should just be removed. Um, but if it's nonviolent but still very hurtful, it's, it's the extent to... To which we need to be ostracized, you know, just because you can understand your ex doesn't mean you want to be around your ex. Now, if they right. have, if you have children in common and, and, uh, he can be kind to your children, then maybe they want a relationship, but, but maybe not. Maybe he can't be. And so, okay, I have a dad, but I don't want anything to do with him. So the behavior will determine how one interacts with that person. But the compassion is knowing that. And you don't have to know, in, in in this case, your ex's background to understand him. You just have to know, in anybody's case, that for the most part, it's like Jesus said, you know, forgive them, Father, for they know right. not what they do. Right. So it's, but it's not forgive them. It's just like, just understand that they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't know what we're doing most of the time. We just do stuff. And then it either turns out okay, because most of us are mostly okay, or we end up doing something so stupid and we go, how did I do that? Or we defend ourselves. Oh, I did that because, you know, X, Y, or Z. But we really operate on subconscious or unconscious programming that just runs us almost like a robot. Mm -hmm. And when it crosses the line into really harmful, hurtful, or violent behavior, the consequences should be severe. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when I understand someone is just... I mean, I can think of examples and, and, you know, we could pull them out if you want, but when someone's hurting me, most of the time, I know that I'm just a collateral damage in their right. own madness. And I can, and that allows me to, to, to sort of step away and say, okay, I, I was just the convenient target to their own craziness. Right. That and the doesn't... way that
0: I explain this to my young ones, cause we do, you know, we do deal with children a lot on this show is a tornado or tornado blows through town and you know was it targeting the firehouse no was it targeting the school no it was doing what tornadoes do and blowing through town but people get hurt in, the, in property gets hurt, things happen. So when a tornado blows through your town, which to me is somebody who is, you know, is hurtful or, or causing damage, you know, you might get some blowback, you might get some things, but you can't internalize it and take it as part of you. A tornado is being a tornado and people sometimes are being people.
1: Right. And you don't want to say, what did I do? You right, know, boy, I I caused this, or this is because or of. Or if
0: I if I be good, maybe dad or yeah, mom will right, do that. Right. I mean, that's where that tornado comes through. You know, tornado doesn't care if you're a firehouse, a school, or a church, or a post office.
1: Right, absolutely. And at the same time, if you just to stick with the tornado metaphor, if you happen to live in an area that is tornado prone, you might want to move.
0: Or protect yourself. You know, get a bunker underneath. You know, create. Or if you can, house. if you can
1: do that, right? If right. Can I mean, that. but but the yeah. whole
0: point is that you are not responsible for the behavior of the tornado.
1: Exactly, right? Don't take ownership of that, and and don't take responsibility for that. Absolutely.
0: So let's take it a step further and go, okay, now we realize that, you know, we are, you know, human beings having this experience and or spiritual beings having this experience and, you know, we're kind of prone to our, our hormones, our beliefs, our choices, and then we have awareness and you know, for me, it was the great cosmic gobsmack that took me from one person to a vastly different person. and. And um, I had an NDE when my son was born and my first son, and I bled out and I had an experience that when I came to in the hospital and I had this premature baby and you know all the drama that goes with it, I came out knowing rather than believing that there was something greater than us. And to me, that was my, if you want to call it awakening, it just sounds so dramatic, but but the point was... The person I went into the hospital being and the person that came out had a very different understanding of the world and how people work and how I showed up. And I want to talk about that because I think a lot of people have these experiences and they're vastly different from before and after the experience, but for me, I didn't know what happened you know, now I know, oh, gee, you know, I got a greater awareness. I started this awakening. It started me on a different path of study. And, you know, the books I read, the books, the things, the concepts I studied, vastly different before and after. Um, I want to talk about that awakening that people have, because it can be frightening and unsettling.
1: Yeah, let's make a distinction between, and you made this distinction between believing and knowing. You know, believing is a, a willful act. I, belief is uh, affirming something to be true without any evidence. So I would never say to you that I believe I have a sister. <laughs> right. I, I know, I know I have a sister. Given the time of day that we're talking and the day of the week, I believe my sister is at her um, Torah study, Bible study class with mm-hmm. uh, the wife of her rabbi. I think that's true. I believe that's true, given, you know, if, she, if, if she's following her normal schedule. But I don't know. I believe that's true. But I know I have a sister. Right. So I could, so, I, so I'd have to test that belief to see if she's with her Bible study group or not. Sure. Most beliefs you can't test or you don't want to test. Right. Like I said earlier, one of the cool things about Buddhism and Hinduism is they give you tools for testing the beliefs that they offer. Are we all part of this oneness? Well, don't take my word for it. In fact, the Buddha even says, don't believe anything you read in a book or someone tells you, test right. it out for yourself. So you can do that. You can spend, you know, a a lifetime. lifetime, you can spend, you know, years in meditation and you come back saying, Whoa, I I, you know, had not a near-death experience, but I had maybe a near enlightenment experience or something. So making that distinction between what I believe and what I know. I, I think that the reason knowing becomes ex, can, be, can be frightening to people is that it often challenges their belief. Yes. Because the beliefs that we hold are things that we've been taught. And most of the things we've been taught are, are ideas that further this notion that Einstein had that we are separate. Whereas what we know when you have that near-death experience, when you have an enlightenment experience, or, uh, you know, the uh, astronauts talk about it when they're in outer space and they look at the earth floating in the blackness of space, there is a word for it. And of course, because we're talking about it, it's going out of my head, (laughs) but uh, they have this experience of the oneness of the planet Mm. from outer space. You don't see the boundaries between countries. You don't see different races. You don't see different. You know ethnicities. You don't see anything like that. You see one world, one race, one humanity. You're right. It's all. It's all just a, a, a thriving, diverse, vibrant, but but essentially non dual reality. Well, and they come back changed. So what we learn though in our religious. In all, I'm overstating it, but I'm maybe mm-hmm. simplifying it. But in most religious settings, what we learn is an us and them. There's the, the overview the effect. Not. Sorry, I was looking it up. The overview effect. That's it. Effect. Thank you. The overview effect. We don't get the overview effect in right. most of our political camps, in most of our religious camps. Right? There's the liberals and the conservatives, and one is right and one is wrong. There's the Republican and Democrat, and now in in our society, it, it's so demonized. The other is demonized. Yep. There's, um, you know, and the saved and the damned. Yep. Right, right. So um, it, it's a it's it's the opposite of the spiritual overview effect. Right. That happens to many of us, unexpectedly. I mean, one of my teachers, Father Thomas Keating, who recently died a few years ago, he passed away a few years ago. Um, he he was a um, Catholic uh, monk, mm-hmm. uh, a priest, and you know he he brought together mystics from a number of different traditions to explore this idea of the overview effect. now we're going to use that term. He didn't have it. And he discovered, or we all discovered, that in our meditation practices, in our experiences of meditation, we were tapping into this overview effect. And we were stepping beyond the boundaries of I'm a Jew, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Protestant, I'm a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Muslim, Mm -hmm. a a secularist or whatever it is. We were just using our meditation practices, each being diverse from the others and finding ourselves in this other state of mind where we realize the non-duality of everything. But that challenges your belief system. And so you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I believe that, how can I believe that uh, you know, like it says in the gospel, according to John, that, you know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. So you either have to say Jesus is wrong, or my understanding of Jesus is wrong. Mm-hmm. So my, I mean, I, I happen to believe Jesus is telling the truth, mm-hmm. but the standard understanding of that verse is it's is wrong. wrong. Yeah. because I mean I won't go into detail here but when Jesus says I am in the in the English translations of the gospel Jesus is a Jew Jesus is referencing the term eheyeh in the Hebrew bible which is the only bible Jesus had and when god it's the term for god it's the name of god ehia, it means i am it's the i am that is the universe so what jesus says i am the way the truth and the life what he's saying is ehia is the way the truth and the life nobody gets to realize that divine reality except going through me meaning this ehia consciousness or christ consciousness
0: Christ consciousness yes
1: and you know it's what saint paul means when he says uses the term metanoia going beyond your brain Mm -hmm. your egoic brain into this christ mind or what the buddhists call buddha mind or you know the 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 understanding of atman is brahman that this that you are the divine every religion has a version of this yes and having that experience shatters the us them uh, dimension of of mainstream religion and that scares people. And not just religion, politics, and everything else.
0: Right. Well, I was going to say it. It shatters everything else. Like you know, we'll go. You know, before the birth of my child to after, before, and I look at like all these false gods. You know, it's like I'm pursuing money. I'm pursuing education. I'm pursuing things. You know, that that you know the the kind of '80s MBA training of the more things you have, the happier you will be. You know, and I found myself seeking all this very type A personality. Then you know, have this experience experience, come out with a greater understanding. And all of a sudden, now, instead of the pursuit of money, it's the pursuit of understanding of awareness. You know, I'm reading all these different texts from all these different religions. And, you know, even, you know, and I can see how my, you know, my marriage failed, because I was a very different person before and after. And if the partner doesn't shift with the person, well, you know, that's going to happen. But when we know more, or we know differently, Everything changes. Your your pursuit changes. Your understanding of how things change, and you really do become a different person when you awaken. I mean, you know, and I'm I'm willing to argue or just dispute this. The more you studied rabbi and, and allowed yourself like with me, I allow myself through these radio shows to meet the most fascinating people and, and, and get exposed to different things. And of course, you know, I'm, 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 I'm protective of my belief system and I and analyze what I hear. I don't just adopt it. But when you start on this path, it's almost like falling into a river nothing else matters the acquisition of things don't matter the all the toys and the bells and whistles we have and you start to become very peaceful and i think in in a chaotic world like we have today when you have that inner peace people think you don't care and i think that's you know i've been accused of of not caring about these big world events and i love that concept of the overview because when you look at the overview you go how is this any different than a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago? History has shown this is what human nature is, and until we become aware of our our reason for being, we're going to have chaos. We're going to have fighting. We're going to have all these things.
1: Yeah, human nature doesn't seem to really change, right? No. I mean that we have had these mystical um, guides. For thousands and thousands of years, way before we've had organized religion, so we've had these insights. Uh, we've known about these things, but most of us don't have the experience, and most of us don't know what to do with it, even if we've had the experience. But I don't want to give the impression, at least from my end, that it leads to not caring. Uh, it leads to not. It leads to not falling into the trap that one system or another is the answer. Right because that. one that that's the problem it's not like okay if i just align with this political party that's going to be the solution because that's never proven to be the case at all or political party or religion or anything else that doesn't seem to be the case at all there has to be something else and you know what's what's interesting in our time though you could see it maybe metaphorically in alchemy and other and other systems from the past you know we've got this this transhumanism uh, emerging where, you know, we're talking about, okay, maybe we can't expect biological evolution to, to help create a new human consciousness, but maybe we can do it ourselves. Maybe we can, you know, nanobots and, and, you know, just uploading our consciousness into a machine and that's going to, you know, or, or develop a whole new uh, post-human being, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe that's the way we're going to do it. But that's, I mean, that to me is, I don't I don't think that's going to happen either, because the people who are doing the work are the same flawed people that, you know. Well, right. Right. I mean, so I I was once at a conference where I was asked to talk about um, will uh, AI Mm -hmm. develop its own religion? And I said, yeah, if we program our artificial intelligence to be neurotic they'll develop their own religion
0: right or to have uh, you know belief you know to create a, a certain belief system and have rules of engagement and say you know an absolutes you know that's another yeah thing right if we to program to
1: mirror. if we if they become a mirror of ourselves they'll create the same madness we create right so you know it's you know, it's, it's just the way, the way it goes. So, you know, we, we talk about God created us in God's image and then we created God in our image. I mean, it's just, it's just circular. Right. Um, nothing really changes unless you have that metanoia experience, that, that radical change of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, um, and now I'm, I'm speculating because I'm not claiming right. that I've had that. But when that happens, the people to whom it happens seem to become new types of human beings. Mm-hmm. But the, socii- the society doesn't know what to do with them. So right. it assass- assassinates them or <laughs> crucifies them or it, it shuns, it them, or shuns them, them or something. Yep. You know, it doesn't wait, wait, wait. This this person is crazy. We don't we, we can't deal with that. Mm-hmm. So um, it's. You know, I mean, either either you're you're hopeful because these people do continue to arise, or you have no hope because of, yeah, but every time they do, nothing ever happens, nothing ever changes anyway, and people are just people. I I don't know which way to go, but it's um, it's this never-ending. I don't know if the word is struggle, but it's this never-ending. Let's just use the word struggle mm-hmm. to to try to get beyond the limited mindset that we tend to. Uh, attach ourselves to adopt yeah
0: adopt right because it is a it is a choice it is you know and I think you know as we talk about you know beliefs and wisdom and and you know, when I look at like the, you know, all the discussions I hear, I work a lot in coffee shops. I'm a coffee shop girl. I like to take my computer and work in the coffee shop. And and actually like to listen. I just literally listen in on people's conversations, you know, not for any nefarious reason, but just to to hear, you know, what people are thinking. And and I think one of the biggest things that if we had any takeaway from today's show, Rabbi, and I'd love your thoughts on this, is to go inward. You know i i listen to people talk about gun control and the abortion pill and the politics and the trump and this and that and the climate change and whatever and they're all it's all outward what are they gonna do what's gonna happen with this and You know, if everybody took, you know, governorship or ownership over their own thoughts, their own choices, like, don't you believe that it is something that that if we're going to solve these problems, everybody's got to go within to do that examination. Because when you go within, when you sit, you know, whether you call it meditation or or prayer, you know, when you go within, there is that internal guidance system, I think, in most humans that says, okay, well, I'm not going to throw this on the beach because not because I want to save the environment or save the whales or save the dolphins, you know, all those different, you know, marketing programs around it, because it's not a good thing for me to do as a steward of this planet, of a guest on this planet. And, you know, the solutions, I think, have to come from within individually first before collectively we can change as a group.
1: Yeah, well, in a sense, that's where we started with perennial wisdom. If you awaken to your true nature as a manifesting of the divine or whatever you want to call it, you can only live according to the golden rule. So from the Jewish perspective, the golden rule is in the negative. It's called, it says, what's hateful to you, don't do to somebody else. So, you know, it's, you wouldn't want to pollute the beach. You wouldn't want to shoot someone because that would be hateful to me, but it's not a moral code coming from the outside. It's what you said, Sandra, it's coming from the inside. Mm-hmm. I know intrinsically, intuitively, innately that I don't want to harm the planet. Mm-hmm. I don't, because the planet is me. It's not right? just that I'm a guest on the planet. I'm a manifesting of the planet. I don't want to hurt the whale or the salmon or my my next door neighbor because we are all together. We're all interconnected. Mm-hmm. And that realization empowers us in a way that um, outward behavior alone does not. One of the things that I've noticed, from, you know, just watching friends and and colleagues who are very wonderfully active in social justice issues, environmental issues, all kinds of very very important things. Those who have a spiritual connection, who do who meditate, who chant, who Um, turn inward on a regular basis and then use what they the energy they release from the inward turning and take it into the world those people don't burn out but people who don't have the inner connection who are just working outwardly they find themselves exhausted because Mm -hmm. they run out of energy they're not being fed from within and i think that that we have to have that that inner feeding that then fuels our our outer work. So it's not an either or, but I think the primary energy is coming from the, the inner work right and it's then propelled that, from
0: you know and when you're from propelled within yeah. from within you have unbelievable energy you have unbelievable compassion for you know you're not i mean yes you're subject to you know being tired as a human body but you know you can just go 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 and keep going and it keeps refueling versus that external well you know what it, we've gone far over our limit today i'm going to have to have you back because i think we could talk forever about some of these things where can people find out about you? And where can they find your books?
1: Uh, well, you can find my books at local bookstores. Uh, but you know, there's 36 of them. Mm-hmm. So they're not all going to be at any one store. Or you can go to amazon.com. And they're all of them are, are there. My website is rabbirami.com. Uh, and the organization that I work uh, with is called One River Foundation. And that's one foundation.org.
0: Oh, love that alright well Rabbi thank you for being my guest today we'll be back again soon with another great episode thank you thank you for listening on behalf of Sandra Beck we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want tune in next week for more tips tricks and techniques on Coach
1: Talk Radio